Welcome to the Right to Reason podcast. I'm your host, Robert Stanley. Today, the atheist John Gleason, known as the godless engineer, a dear friend and Christian academic named Chris Christensen, an atheist turned Muslim, Justin Downing, discuss the potential benefits of religion, whether you can get something from nothing, and whether or not truth is conceptual. I really enjoyed this nuanced conversation from three different perspectives. Justin Downing was charitable during the recording. However, he released a part of this recording that he claimed in an atheist group, I quote, we are one step closer to believing in Allah. He, meaning the godless engineer, accepts a necessary being, end quote. That did not occur, at least not in the way Justin implies. In his YouTube video, he repeatedly claims that the godless engineer agreed that truth is conceptual. This also is misleading. As you will hear, John alludes to the facet of truth being conceptual, but doesn't concede to the premise and the way that Justin proposes. I got frustrated toward the end and failed to be the objective moderator that I intended to be, but I just couldn't hold back. It was a great discussion, and I know you'll enjoy it. Here we go. It's the Right to Reason Podcast. This episode of the Right to Reason Podcast is brought to you by our patrons and contributors like me. We have all recognized the value of the unrestrained marketplace of ideas and have decided to make a difference. You can make a difference too. Contribute at patreon.com forward slash right and learn more about your right to reason at the right to reason.com. Your activism is appreciated. And today we are talking with the godless engineer, Justin Downing and Chris Christensen. Gentlemen, how are you? Good, Robert. Alhamdulillah. I'm good. How, how are you? Fantastic. Uh, Justin, you have a podcast that's called AE that used to stand for, or EA, was EA. it? EA. Yeah, that, that, that stood for something about atheism, but now you are a Muslim. That is, that is correct. It originally stood for Empathetic Atheist. Um, to where I started a YouTube channel uh, to normalize atheism and to have uh, good philosophical discussions with uh, other people that held specific beliefs on and figure out what they believe and why they believe it. Um, over a certain period of time, being open-minded, I was convinced that uh, Islam was true. Uh, I took my shahada, became a Muslim, and uh, the EA is now uh, EA Dawa, and it stands for Essential Aqidah. EA Dawa, that sounds like a rap album. Dawa. <laughs> Dawah, D-A-W-A-H. So it, oh. it basically just is an Arabic word for um, giving the truth of Islam to non-Muslims. So in a Christian world, it would be evangelizing. John Gleason, you are the godless engineer. I'm guessing you're pretty taken back by the fact that one of your fellow atheists like Justin would become a Muslim. Uh, I mean, uh, maybe... I wouldn't say taken aback by it. I am. Anything, I'll be I'm, honest, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm totally, I'm totally fine with people, you know, believing with whatever they, you know, they believe, as long as, uh, you know, it, it, as long as everybody um, carefully considers their position, which it sounds like, um, is okay if I call you Justin. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, as long as is Justin carefully considered his position and, and what he believed, and he came to you know the uh, his conclusion you know on his own, I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, so it doesn't really bother me if people you know move in and out of any position. Now I I, I am thoroughly confused just because I know what it would take to convince me. And uh, so far, all all of the arguments and, and uh, quote unquote evidence that's been provided just really doesn't seem uh, convincing. Um, <laughs> it's but, crazy, uh, right? But I'm always it's freaking crazy oh, to I, me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's just it, I don't know. I, I, I'm always very interested to know you know why people believe what they believe and and, right. and what convinced them and you know why why these particular arguments make sense because i mean you know i i constantly misunderstand things i i don't know sometimes i just simply don't know or, or i'm missing something and so i'm that's why i'm always very up for a conversation uh, about arguments for god or uh, reasons why people believe in god or, or anything like that absolutely and 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 just has been on the podcast before i can i can attest the guy's a logical motherfucker. He really is. Uh, he challenged me. But uh, John's been on the podcast before. Another valuable member of our podcast guests, 
is Chris Christensen. You actually teach about Christian philosophy, and I think you have, what are you at right now? You're in a master's, but I've been trying to get you to go all the way to doctorate. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. You got to do it. You got to do it. I just don't really want to go for another four years of school right away. <laughs> it's a commitment. Um, I don't teach philosophy. I teach a course called Christianity and Culture. Hmm. So I, not quite philosophy, but just looking at Christianity in relation to other worldviews about ethical and cultural issues, um, just looking at what the church has done in history, what it's done well, what it hasn't done so great, that sort of thing. Sure. So, just start us off, Chris. You're the academic here. Justin and and John, they're the famous dudes. They're big YouTube celebrities, both of them. <laughs> I'm embarrassing them, but they are. I, I, but don't, the, I, don't, I don't know uh, about famous, but... Okay. Yeah, see, yeah, see what I mean? See what I mean? <laughs> but no, the, like a lot of people listen to you two guys. A <laughs> lot of people. Chris has like students that listen to him, right? He's over there writing so, textbooks. So. But Chris, <laughs> start us off. Do you have any objection to Islam or atheism that, that you'd like to start us off? And I, honestly, guys, I'm going to try to stay in the background. I'm going to try to get out of your way and just let you guys talk. Because I, I, what my, my whole idea is if we have a, a Muslim, a Christian, and an atheist, we've got a really great conversation. And you guys are three people that I have a lot of respect for and that I would I would listen to any one of you on your own, but all three of you together, goddamn. Sorry for goddamn to the two Christian guys or the two believers, but you know what I mean. I'm just saying, like that's that's goal. Anyway, Chris, start us off. What what's your take on Islam, atheism, etc.? I mean, I obviously probably have more in common with Islam than atheism. Both okay. Justin and I believe in one God, and we believe that He's a Creator. Uh, we both believe in a person called Jesus. Um, we have very different beliefs about that person named Jesus. And just speaking about. You know, one of probably one of the objections to Islam is that I think there's good reason to think that Islam or that Jesus was crucified. And from what I understand of the Quran, it denies that he was crucified. So that's probably a big problem I have there. Um, objection with atheism, I guess, obviously, is that I think there's good reason to believe that God exists. Um, my experience has been the opposite of John's, um, that I do find the evidence convincing and realize that's kind of subjective on both of our sides, uh, what we find convincing, what we don't. Um, so that's why I'm always willing to talk about it and hear people's objections. And I read lots of literature by people on both sides of the debate just to see, okay, what are both sides saying and who's got the better arguments? Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Justin, forgive me, uh, due to your, your new acceptance of your new faith, you've changed your name. What was it again? You already said it, and I forgot it. I'm sorry. Uh, so, so my name is uh, Khalil, or Khalil Allah, which just means Arabic for friend of God. Khalil, Chris brought up that the problem with Islam is that you reject the uh, resurrection of Christ and or crucifixion, perhaps. If you don't mind responding to that or any other facet of Christianity that you have an issue with, and then uh, if the godless engineer doesn't mind following that up thereafter. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, my issue with with uh, the Christian faith does have to do with the resurrection, but it has to do with three specific hinge pins of Christianity, um, which would be the Trinity. If you are a Trinitarian, there are Unitarian Christians, um, but uh, the vast majority of them are Trinitarian of some sense. And then there's also the Incarnation, where Jesus Christ becomes man, uh, fully God and fully man, or truly God and truly man, according to the Council of Chalcedon. Um, and then the atonement, uh, there's also issues within the atonement, and that's kind of problems that spill over from both the Trinity and the Incarnation that don't seem to be consistent with someone who is truly man and truly God, uh, you know, dying for our sins and becoming this, uh, becoming this uh, depending on what theory of atonement you hold to, uh, most of the time penal substitutionary atonement. Um, I, file, I find logical complications and contradictions uh, within all of these views meshed together and uh, simultaneously individualized. Uh, but what I do is I go from a different angle, and I don't argue scripture. I just grant everything that the Christian thinks that the Bible is saying, and then just do ask epistemological questions uh, about the nature of their belief and see if there's any internal contradictions within those beliefs. Uh, I mean, I think that's a fine way to you know go about uh, figuring out 
you know what the the truth of reality um i i think that fundamentally the difference uh here is just uh you know what convinces us and uh while uh justin and uh chris uh, have been convinced by the uh, religious arguments for god i just simply haven't uh, been convinced i i find them uh, a lot of times to either make logical leaps um which would be jumping to a conclusion without substantial evidence that you know, warrants, you know, that conclusion. I think that a lot of it has to do with faith. Like you have to have faith that, you know, God is real or, or you just have to, um, like you've got a, uh, one thing that a lot of people say is you got to believe in him in order for God to show himself to you. And so, I don't know. I just, I find all of the arguments to be very unconvincing. Um, and so tip, Typically, uh, I just wait for somebody to bring up a specific argument for God in order for me to respond because I really don't like I'm not putting forth any kind of positive claim here. I'm just simply unconvinced. I feel like there is value within religion. And I know Chris, I don't know about about Justin, uh, but I know Chris is right right away going to go, hey, it's relationship, not religion, you know, whatever. I feel like there might be some value there, and that might be where John and I disagree. Some of these people need this shit. And I'm not talking about, like, there's no atheists and foxholes. I'm talking about, like, somebody that's grown up with this religion, with this culture all their life. They're looking at their mother on their deathbed. They kind of need to have something there that reality can't, can't offer them. And, and John and I, we're both atheists. Uh, we would say, that's not real. But humans don't really need real. You know, humans thrive on real. That's where science comes from, technology, the advancement of, of the human imagination, as it were. Real isn't necessarily what we need to thrive or to survive from. We just need hope. And I think religion offers people hope. I think it's a, a detriment to society, ultimately. But where we're at, 2022, as it were, you know, I don't think we're ready for that change. Would the Muslim and the Christian in the group say that whether or not your ideas are accurate, would you at least say that religion as a whole might be what we need for now? And I would love to hear that followed up by the atheist, if possible. Well, that almost sounds like the atheist version of Pascal's wager. Hmm. <laughs> it's not. It's not. I'm not saying it's better to believe than not. I think it's better to not believe. I'm just asking, like, there's some people out there that probably need it. In the same way, like, uh, this is probably a really horrible analogy, and John's going to correct me on it, but there's people that don't have a mental health issue. They don't need uh, medicine to help them get through their day, but some people do, and that's okay. And I'm not trying to say that just because you believe in God that you're, you know, you have mental illness. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But It's more pertaining to, like, a placebo effect. Maybe, but I mean, like a, a social structure that helps society in that sense, I could see that. So I, I wouldn't say like like Chris Judd, Pascal's wager. I would just say like some people need something to believe in. The, not all of us have the privilege of being atheists would be my perspective. Once again, I'm, I'm presenting bias on it, trying to, but that's my yeah. question to you. The two guys that have faith. Do you think that religion, whether you're correct or not, has value? And and then Godless Engineer, would would you say that maybe you could see where I'm coming from or agree or disagree with those two? Yes. Yeah, so I'll, I'll go first. So I, I do believe that religion is useful. You know, outside looking at, you know, from a non-biased view, just a third party. Yeah, religion can be useful to people. It can also be detrimental. It can be very, it can, it can cause violence. It can cause harm. It can cause death. It can cause a lot of negative things. And, and I think a lot of people focus on those negative things a lot. But to kind of answer your question about, you know, like, do do people really need this? I'll, I'll, I'll be straight honest with you, that it scared the living daylights out of me when I became a Muslim. Just because I was so comfortable where I was at, I just bumped over a thousand subscribers on YouTube. Um, I had plenty of patrons. Like I was rolling, making content, having you know Graham Oppie on and and Matt Dillahunty, Aaron Ross, Seth Andrews. I was I was just rolling in it, and, and yeah, I, it was, I was were. enjoying it. But at the same time, I was trying to be as genuine as I could, questioning my own beliefs, my own you know metaphysical um, positions that I held. And as I wanted to be genuine and honest, I was finding that even though I was happy and comfortable where I was at, I was still finding that I was lacking in, in consistency. 
and that's and in leaving that and going more towards the Islamic view was definitely something new. And I don't like change. Uh, a lot of humans don't like change, but that was something that had to happen for me if I wanted to be consistent. And as I told all my viewers on YouTube, as I was a, when I was an atheist YouTuber, that I'm always open-minded to changing my positions. Now, what what the hell kind of person am I if I'm just going to say that and not actually hold to it if it happens? So, yeah, like I think religion uh, does have a Im positive impact on society as a whole, uh, on the people that follow it. And I think if we're talking strictly in utilitarian terms, it's good in that sense. Um, on the other hand, uh, sure, it can give comfort to people, like you mentioned, you know, if your grandma's dying and you're afraid that you won't see her again, believing in an afterlife could get you through that. On the other hand, you know, especially like with some religions where like you have to be willing to die for your faith. If you're dying for something that's not true and you're, you know, you're trusting that there's an afterlife and there's not, then people are kind of wasting the only time that they really get to live and enjoy conscious existence. And so I think in that sense, it would actually be very detrimental if it's not true. John, is there is there any value in religion, in your opinion? Well, uh, you know, I, I have to, you know, repeat what Chris had just said that, you know, if, if there's not if there's not any truth in the religion and you dedicate your life to the religion, then you've essentially, you know, wasted, you know, your, your, your life on something that's not true. And whether or not you're fine with that, I guess, is up to you. Um, I, I don't think that that's, you know, worth my life um, uh, if if. if something is, is just not true. I'm just, I'm not going to believe it. And I'm also not going to let it restrict myself, y you know, in, uh, in the ways that religion generally does, I'm not talking about the ways that society generally restricts you, like with the societal norms and laws and everything like that, that we have in society. I think that uh, religion, you know, provide, can provide, you know, everything that that's already been talked about, but, I feel like it's just a masking like it's a it's a masking for, you know, unresolved conflict that you have. And I think that the only way that you can really resolve it is by really getting help and not like appealing to a religion or something like that, like just actually getting like either psychological help or, you know, uh, in whatever form that might be, it might just be therapy. Um, it might just be, you know, talking to a friend about it and, and, you know, getting it off your chest. It, it might be, uh, getting prescribed some medication for it, um, depending on, on what you could be going through. But I feel like just, uh, you know, appealing to religion in those times when you need, uh, hope instead of, you know, actually resolving whatever issues you have, I think uh, ultimately over time are a detriment. Um, I mean, you may not perceive them to be a detriment, but I feel like I, I just I feel like what it seems to me to be ignoring the problem and just going with the the easy answer is not actually resolving it. And that can only result in um, in, in like not necessarily bad quality of life, but it, it can definitely result in, in prolonged, uh, suffering, I guess, in, right. in that sense. So right. I, I don't think that I personally don't think that religion provides anything special, unique, or, uh, anything like that, that you can't get from other sources that actually help you rather than provide you with an easy answer. John, I'll, I'll tell you, I have a problem with my my atheist worldview, if we're going to call it that, which I know, you know you and I would both, if we heard, you know, some random Christian accuse us of that or, you know, a believer, uh, we'd be like, it's not a worldview, you know, <laughs> if we can be colloquial for a second, I have a problem and I want to present it to you and I'd like to hear from the other two guys first, if that's all right. But I recognize I struggle with reductio ad absurdum because I don't think something can come from nothing. I don't. I just fucking don't. I'm not a Lawrence Krauss guy, you know? And that's not from like a Me Too thing. Like, I'm like from a philosophical thing. I don't think something can come from nothing, and I want to pick your brain on it. But would, would the Muslim and the Christian in, in, in the recording, would you guys agree something can't come from nothing? Absolutely. 
Yeah, I, I think that a lot of times that that claim is made thinking that theism has to do with something coming from nothing. But necessarily one of the arguments that I use to argue for the existence of a god uh, would be some type of necessary causal principle that's the foundation for all existence, something that all contingent objects are predicated on. So I, I would say that something cannot come from nothing, but something that's necessary and has no arbitrary limitations, is unlimited, can cause something into existence. Chris, do you agree with uh, uh, your Muslim comrade there? I think so, yeah. Um, and I mean, the I've only just started studying it more in depth myself, but like, you know, what the Kalam cosmological argument actually says, anything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. It that seems to follow. If there actually was a Big Bang, then it does seem like the universe began to exist. See, and dude, like right there, like the 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 Kalam mixing it with the Big Bang, like that's that's where you lose me. Like what I was presenting to John was that I have I recognize an issue with my philosophy. I I don't know, John, help me out. Well, well, I feel like uh, people are mixing up the terminology here because like. Okay. The the only the only things that claim that something can come from nothing is religion because in religion all you add in there is just this conscious being that causes something to come from nothing. But is uh, that is that conscious being something? Well, uh, I mean, uh, I, I I I guess so. I mean, I wouldn't. I'm not religious, so, so I mean, I yeah, no. But I'm just saying, like through an internal critique, if that conscious being is something, then it's not something coming from nothing. It's something well, no, coming so, from something. So I mean, God, at least, and now, Justin, um, I'm I'm somewhat familiar with Islam, uh, because only because I know like the the Old Testament. Uh, really well, and um, I'm not exactly sure how it deviates uh, in Islam from the, just the general Old Testament. I know that it does, but Quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in 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 uh, from what I understand, you know the uh, the the nothing that God created, like it's not like God took a piece of His skin and then created you know, the universe or something like that. Like the, 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 you, God, maybe I'm just misunderstanding it, but God created everything out of, out of, you know, something. Other are, than are you, are you saying that it's, that it's hard to fathom or understand, uh, God creating ex nihilo or, or basically speaking things into existence? Like for, for, no. for example, in the Quran, it says, kun fayakun. He says, be, and it is. And I think that Chris would would agree with that. Being a Christian, that's something that we agree upon. But is is that the problem that you're having? Is trying to figure out how that makes sense? How something can come into existence ex nihilo from a causal principle? No, I, I don't. I, I mean, the the direction I was going with what I'm saying here is that mm -hmm. the scientific uh, argument uh, centered around the Big Bang or the inflation of the universe doesn't say that it pops into existence out of nothing or that it comes from nothing. The, the, the nothing that we're talking about here in the scientific sense is still something. There's still yeah. something there. And I, I have a problem with being able to distinguish a God from just the very fabric of reality and that universes, you know, uh, creating themselves or universes just coming into existence without some kind of conscious being is just a natural, uh, another natural process that happens. Mm -hmm. I, I got plenty of stuff that I would like to say, but I want to let Chris go ahead and jump in here. If he, if he has anything to say, um, I don't have anything quite at this moment. Ah, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so honestly, I would actually, I've been kind of moving away from using the Kalam. Uh, because of these reasons itself, um, to where you know, typically uh, we can we can come to an understanding that everything that begins to exist has a cause. You know, inductively we can look at everything that begins to exist, like the computer or microphone that I'm using to communicate with you guys began to exist at some point in time. Whether you're a mirological nihilist and believe that everything's just matter and energy, and that matter and, matter and energy conforms together to create some type of conglomeration of atoms, and it's always existed. Um, that's fine, but the conceptual objects themselves, or even if you're not a muriological nihilist, actual physical completed objects did begin to exist. And as we've 
understood and observed through our lifetime um, of observation and science that we can see that these things have explanations for their existence. So I would go more into like a stage one contingency argument to make the argument that all contingent things that exist have explanations for their existence. And I hold to a, 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 I'm a fallibilist when it comes to knowledge. So I could be wrong. I don't think that I'm philosophically certain of any claim that I make, not even the one that I just made right there. So I believe that I could be wrong. Um, with that being said, I think it's reasonable to believe that things uh, that are contingent objects are objects that have explanations for their existence. And I think that that would be reasonable to believe just to start off with. Can, can I throw a crazy question out? And I'm sure I'm sure Godless Engineers got a lot to follow up on your point right there. But but if you don't mind putting a pin in it just for a second, I just this is something I've always struggled with, man. Uh, uh, Justin, is it possible if something can't come from nothing, which means nothing can exist, which means the only thing that can exist is something because nothing cannot be, then by definition, all contingency is necessary. Therefore, nothing's contingent. I mean, you, you could no, say so, like something relies so, so. on another thing, but the thing that they rely on is also necessary in a reality where nothing cannot be. So, yeah, sure. So I think there's a misunderstanding here on what contingency means. Contingency means that it has some type of explanation for its existence. So I'll use an example of human beings themselves. They are contingent upon their parents, you know, having, you know, intercourse, you know, this, the sperm and the egg right, creating, right. you know, life, creating, you know, the growth in the stomach. And so you're dependent on your parents or contingent on your parents for your existence, your parents on them. And then we go all the way back down the line to where it's, you know, it, it goes all the way back to heavier elements. We, you know, oh, we're dependent on heavier elements and all this stuff and en ends up going back either two different ways. Either you just believe that everything is contingent because it has an explanation on why it exists and then you have an infinite regression that's somehow actualized in reality. And to use the same logic that the atheist has for I see no good evidence or there's no evidence to show me that this is the case or even could be the case, I would say that we have no evidence whatsoever of any infinites actualized in reality. We have plenty of mathematical potential infinites, but no infinites whatsoever in reality. We have plenty of evidence of things that begin and end, and these things are contingent. So I would say that to keep out of that infinite regression that we have no good reason to believe in, there would be something, and I'm not saying jumping to a god at any point in this. I'm simply saying that there's something that would be necessary, something that does not have an explanation for its existence, something that did not begin to exist. Now, the law of thermodynamics states that matter and energy cannot be created nor destroyed depending on if they're in an open or closed system. So you could at this point make the argument that matter and energy are the is the necessary existence, is this necessary fundamental property in which all contingent things derive from. Is that something that might be reasonable to believe? Well, I mean, I, I think that it's reasonable to believe, and that's why earlier what I said was that I have a hard time distinguishing God from just the very fabric of reality because I don't see any reason why the fabric of reality being, you know, natural, I, I don't see why that can't, uh, just as a property of the fabric of reality, uh, spontaneously create universes, like universes spontaneously create. Um, because right now, as far as the scientific explanation for, you know, how this could have happened, it, it requires going into like uh, quantum scalar fields and all that. But basically a quantum scalar field fluctuated from a false vacuum state to a true vacuum state. And we know that when this happens, um, an immense amount of energy is released. And this uh, this explains how the universe inflated and all this other stuff. And so I just I, I, I get the argument. I just disagree in the uh, in jumping to the the uh, doing the logical leap to God without. Yeah, some yeah I'm not kind doing of, that yet. I just want to make I know, that clear. I know I'm not, not arguing doing, for God. I, I know. I know. I, I, uh, I, I'm, that's why I started off by saying I, I can't agree with this because. You know, I have this problem with differentiating fabric of reality from God. So, uh, I, I, it, to me, it just looks like the fabric of reality and universes spontaneously inflating are just uh, one property of of this reality. Sure, sure. Well, well, once before I start going again, Chris, I don't want to. <laughs> you're you're the other theist in here, so go go ahead, brother. 
I'm afraid I'm not going to add much. Give it to him, Chris. Hit him hard. <laughs> I guess the way I've always understood this is with with the Big Bang, and I admit my scientific knowledge is not nearly up there with everybody else's, it seems, um, that at, with the Big Bang, the fabric of reality was also what came into existence. It wasn't something that's always existed itself. It's what we're talking about. And so if that came into existence... Um, and God was the one that we created. That's what puts him outside of it. Would you say, we're talking theory here, and this is what you specialize in, would you say that the laws of logic existed, let's say, in tandem with, before, or with God in some way? Or would you say that God created the laws of logic? That's an interesting question. I hadn't really thought about that. I guess if if they have always existed, I would argue that they've always existed in his mind that's the form that they've taken all right so like like his uh his essence as it were essentially yeah um and then you know it's like the moral laws that we have like when he created it he imparted those like the logical laws the so you you remember the uh the youth of dilemma yes i'm sure sure you, you prepare your your students for this sort of apologetic very often, you know, morals come from God or morals are morals that God sub, uh, submits to, right? More or less. And I feel like laws of logic are similar in that sense. And I think that maybe that's something when we're talking about something coming from nothing that John and Justin are kind of tapping into. If I could jump in on that real quick. So sure. I believe that the laws of logic are necessary for us to even communicate about God prior to creation. Okay. And, and I use prior to creation very loosely uh, because it's kind of the, one of the only ways that the we can use the English language to really try and describe it. So I hold very unorthodox views, even in Islam, because I believe that God exists within time and I believe that God changes, oh. which is very heretical to a lot of different views. But I would say for us to even be able to say God existed, we now have identity. Identity is A equals A. Now, if we're going to say that God existed, that would obviously mean that you understand that I mean God could not be God and also not God. And that if I say God existed, that it would be true that God exists. So it seems fundamental and necessary to say that the laws of logic are actually part of God's ontology, that that God actually part of his fundamental nature is the laws of logic. And that's why these things are called necessary truths. Well, can I can I, can I repeat something back to you to see if I understood what you said? Sure, go ahead. Basically, in order to contemplate whether God exists, that necessarily means God exists? To even communicate at all or to have any kind of understanding of anything, you need the laws of logic. These things are axiomatically presupposed by every human being universally to even think a thought or speak a sentence. I mean, I don't think that you have to know – I mean, I I don't think that you have to know – like the laws of logic in order to communicate, like for just for instance, you have multiple animals in the animal kingdom that communicate with each other all the time. Maybe not necessarily through words and like constructed language, but they still uh-huh. communicate with each other. Do and they know they that, don't need... that certain, do they know that certain sounds that they make mean th- certain things and not other things? I mean, I, I think instinctually they they know um, they 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 probably know those things. Like they they sure. know what so, it sounds like to be, uh, you know, like uh, if if um, you know another animal of the species is in trouble, they would they would recognize you know the scream or whatnot. Uh, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, so it seems like those sounds that they're making are their own way of communicating with each other. And those sounds that they make, they know that those sounds are those sounds. And they know that the meanings of those sounds could not be the meaning and also not that meaning. And that when they go to investigate why they're making that, the other animals are making that sound, it seems as if it's true. So right there, even without human beings discussing things with a specific English language or, you know, Arabic or Spanish or whatever, it seems as if these three properties, these three laws are still holding. If you were to look at the singularity prior to any type of mind, like if in your belief, any type of mind existed at the singularity, let's just hypothetically say that that was the case in the Big Bang Theory is the ontological truth of reality and that it actually did happen. Well, at that point in time, you have a singularity. So A equals A. The singularity was a singularity. The singularity was not a singularity and also not a singularity. 
that means that that holds to the law of non-contradiction and that it was true that it was a singularity the law of yeah but i feel like you're being you're being a little bit anachronistic here because i mean it requires a mind to come up with these logical laws yeah uh, so i mean around the truth of these logical laws and that would actually be the second argument that i would bring up after we get past the stage one contingency argument it's an argument called the law the law of non or the lord of non-contradiction i would argue that for any type of truths to exist there needs to be a mind that grounds those truths because truths are conceptual conceptual objects are necessarily grounded in minds so for anything to be true prior to human beings existing there needs to be a mind to ground those truths in that would be my I really don't I, I mean I, I I really don't think so because I feel like this is a you know if a tree falls in a wood does it still make a sound because it obviously still does make a sound when a tree falls it still creates pressure waves in the air uh, so I mean I, that I true? think that yes Okay. Like that, the that laws truth. of the laws of physics don't just go out of the window if there's no human there to experience them. I absolutely agree with you. And what I'm saying okay. is that that statement that you make, like if we start off by saying like like let's just say that there's that we agree that there's some type of fundamental necessary something, whether that's reality, matter and energy, uh, I think Aaron Ra when he talked to my Muslim brothers, he ended up at the end of the at the end of the conversation saying, "Yeah, that matter and energy, that, that that's the necessary being. That's the necessary existence. To where that was fine. So the contingency argument's good for the stage one. So then what is this necessary being? So we would look at something like the ball is red. And if I say that, um, if I say the ball is red in Arabic and you say the ball is red in English, that those, those would be two separate statements because they're in different languages. But they would mean the same thing. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Okay, so if they mean the same thing in philosophy, that meaning is what's called a proposition, and the proposition has truth values that's placed on it. So the proposition is what's called a truth bearer. It's the thing that bears the truth. So the question is, does do you believe, John, that truth exists in reality? Yes, I believe that truth exists in reality. Okay, so is this truth? Do you think that this truth might be a physical object, or is truth itself a conceptual thing? I mean, I, I like for 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 me considering truth, it's conceptual. But I mean, I like I I feel like if if the ball if there's a ball and it's red, regardless of whether a mind exists, that ball is still going to reflect the um the red portion of the light spectrum, regardless of whether or not I'm there to view it or anybody else is there to view it. It's a physical property of of the universe that it's going to do that so regardless I, I of if a mind if if, if, if for, for shits and giggles say that no god exists that ball would still reflect the red portion of the light spectrum sure so my my question is is i don't disagree with you at all from what you said is that there doesn't need to be something observing it to make sure that it is what it is but if you say that the ball is red regardless of like human minds then that that's fine. If regardless of a mind looking at it, that that's fine. But is it still true? And if you believe that truth exists in reality and that truth is a conceptual thing, well, then concepts are mental things. Concepts, mental things are necessarily grounded in minds. So you, we could look at it two different ways. If we go back to the Big Bang. Is it true that the singularity was a singularity? Yes, it was true. So like we've already agreed that truth is a conceptual thing, that concepts are mental things and mental things are grounded in minds, that for there to be any truth at the Big Bang, you would need a mind to ground that truth in. Now, human beings later, we can See, I just I disagree with that. Well, it, the, the only other option you have is that human beings existed later and that we are the ones who create the truth because then we can No, I don't I don't think mind. so. I think I think truth exists regardless of whether or not there's a mind to consider the truth. Like there's a there's a truth of reality. Like there's there 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 are like for me to consider some kind of thing that to be either true or false is conceptual. But mm -hmm. it like there is an an ultimate truth of reality. And uh, with this ultimate truth of reality, like the, the, like one ultimate truth would be like the uh, Earth orbits around the sun. Regardless of whether a mind ever existed in this universe, the Earth would still orbit around the sun. So that's that's a that's something that's true 
regardless of a mind being present. And I think so, that that's valid, you know, you know, everywhere. Is is this is this truth? Is this a conceptual thing that exists well, it, regardless of any minds? So my my question would be if you believe that conceptual things can exist without minds, I would ask you how you know that or how you could even demonstrate that concepts can exist. I'm not saying – no, no, no. You're twisting around what I'm saying. What I'm saying I'm sorry, is – I, th- I, thought, I thought we agreed that concepts are mental things. No, I, I said that there's two different things being talked about here. I said okay. that for me to consider something to be true or false, that is a conceptual thing. But then there's this separate uh, truth of reality where you know there are true statements that exist – regardless of whether or not a mind is there to conceive them or consider them. And uh, like, like with the, uh, the ball being red, uh, just like I said before, regardless of any mind ever existing, that ball is still going to reflect red light. So this non, this non conceptual second type of truth that you're talking about, what type of substance does it hold in reality? What type of ontology does it have? Uh, I really don't know what you're asking here. I mean, these are, these are just facts of reality. But if the facts are true, then there's truths there. So you said some truths, I think we can agree that some truths are concepts. So if the truth is still there, regardless of a mind, if there's no mind, there's no concept, but if there's still truth, then we need to figure out what type of truth this is. That's non-conceptual. And I don't think we have any evidence of non-conceptual truths. I have no good reason to believe that. Okay, well, I mean, I've 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 reiterated the whole red ball thing a few times already, and it's apparently just not getting through. And I feel like there's an equivocation going on here between these different ideas of truth. Um, and it's not really a weird thing for words or, or even concepts to have multiple different um, understandings or meanings. So, I mean, I I just the the only thing that I can say is that there are facts of reality regardless of whether or not there's a mind there to consider them true or not. Mm-hmm. And and so like the earth uh, orbiting around the sun, fact of reality. The ball reflecting uh, you know, red light, fact of reality. These these would be yeah. part of the ultimate truth that we've been talking about here. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's not the problem that I have is that it's a fact of reality. I agree with you. But is it true that it's a fact of reality? And if it is true, you know, let me turn this around on you a little bit there, Justin, because what what evidence do you have that uh, God is necessary? I'm not ready to talk about God yet. We haven't gotten there. Okay. We, oh, we need to get you. We need to get okay, you. A to, mind. Sorry, sorry, sorry. A mind. No, I meant I meant a mind. Uh, sure. Yeah. What, what what indicates to you that a mind is absolutely necessary for anything to be a fact of reality, other well, because, than just presupposing that a mind needs to be there? Yeah, yeah, and that's why I have the argument. Presuppositions necessarily don't have arguments. Uh, there are things that are just axiomatically assumed at the beginning of an argument. So what I do is I lead down this line, this path of of reason to get to the logical entailment. So I ask, are statements existing separately? Yes, they they have meanings. Those meanings are propositions. Propositions have truths. Truths are concepts. Concepts are mental things. Mental things are grounded in mind. So the way that I see it is that is if anything is actually true at any point in time, that there is a truth. And if truths are concepts, concepts cannot exist at any point in time outside of a mind. So it seems that it logically entails that if anything is ever true, that there's a mind that's necessary for it. Now, you could say that truth did not begin to exist until human beings were able to conceptualize in the past. But then there's no way to distinct, make a distinction or differentiate from um, from from the actual ontology and somebody's opinion. So facts versus opinions, if they're both just subjective and created by human beings, well, then there's no way to really make a distinction. But if truth existed or was discovered prior to human beings existing, it just seems like the logic, like the logical entailment of that. Okay. God I, damn I it! Feel, I, I feel like you're. I feel like you're arguing for this one understanding of truth being conceptual and and needing a mind, and then I'm over here having a different conversation. Is is no, no, I agree with you, but right that's now. that's why I asked if you're going to be talking about this other type of truth. Then explain to me what exactly the substance of this other type of truth is, because I I don't think we have any evidence in in, in reality whatsoever of truths not being conceptual. 
I, I'm going fucking crazy, guys. I'm going fucking crazy. <laughs> Let me. Chris has been quiet. <laughs> Okay. Jump in on this right now. <laughs> is it possible that truth is also conceptual but also a reality in the same way that someone would say that water is wet? That's our perspective of the function of water. The same way that our perspective of the function of reality is that which is true or not. And the way we call it true is whether or not it concedes to reality. The whole, the whole yeah, no. goddamn idea of what is true exists without our allegiance to it. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm agree. sorry, Justin. Without I'm getting worked up. To it. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. It I, doesn't I require a goddamn mo- All right. All right. Well, I mean, then, then I would have to know what this truth is that you guys are talking about because the, this truth seems like this magical thing that is non-conceptual but exists in reality, but truth is not a physical object. Correct. Magical? Two types of... Well, yeah, it seems magical to me because it's not magical. Have, well, if things are either physical or conceptual, and if truths themselves, if you cannot hand me a physical truth and you can hand me the object that is true, which there's a distinction between those two things, it seems as if a truth can only be conceptual unless you can posit some other third category of ontology that's neither conceptual nor physical. And that seems pretty magical to me. I mean, that's not magical. Like things existing outside of the human condition is not magical. Like, you know, I I could, you know, we could point to a rock and whether or not humans existed, that rock would still be there. So I guess I just don't understand. I don't understand why you're breaking reality down into such a, you know, what what you're doing is you're conflating the object itself with the truth of the object, which there's a distinction between those things. Yes. The rock exists prior to any human being. Being able to observe it or conceptualize of it, it exists. That's the fact of reality. But is it true that it exists? If it is true, then that proposition has a truth value. There's a concept at play at that moment in time that that rock existed 200 million years ago. So well, if that's yes, the case, because it requires a mind. It requires requires a mind to ask those kinds of questions. But regardless of whether or not a mind exists, that rock or that ball are still going to have the same physical properties. It doesn't matter if there's a mind around to consider, oh, is that ball really reflecting red light or am I hallucinating? Like it doesn't require a mind in order for the, the rock to reflect it. Those are the physical properties of reality right right but he, if you're but looking he's for an ontology or something like that it would be physical properties of our reality that is what it's grounded in with with all with all due respect john I, I think that you're making this claim which you're more than willing to make but i'm waiting for the argument to justify and substantiate the claim not not just the claim be rep, be presented to me again damn okay well i i mean i'm i'm i literally gave i'm i'm giving you literal examples that uh show you what i'm talking about but you just don't want to accept them and that's fine i guess john, I mean, that's, john that's fine john that's fine. if if i can throw something at you i think and correct me if i'm wrong justin i think what he's saying is he agrees with your physicalism and your concepts but he's saying could something exist that's not conceptual or physical and i think maybe justin Fill me out here. Mm-hmm. All right. And Chris, chime in where you want to. Uh, <laughs> I think we could say hypothetically, Justin, play, play, play ball with me here. Hypothetically, let's say the Nazis won, right? And everybody is yep. a Nazi. Now, it's not physical or conceptual. The whole world run by Nazis is wrong. But there's a truth that that's not what's best for mankind. Now, that truth exists outside yeah. of the concept of mankind you know you and can't touch it? it it's true just like the laws true, of logic is the truth but justin the laws of logic you agreed existed before the concepts of man and the laws of logic are not physical so in the same no, way conceptual. there are no they're not just conceptual because they can exist without the concept from the man so therefore yeah, from the man, there I are agree, truths but, but, that exist without concept or physical that's a false dichotomy 
Yeah, so I'm not making that dichotomy. In a concept itself, a proposition itself is what we really need to understand here, what a proposition is. So the proposition is the meaning of something. When something exists in reality, there's some type of intentionality to it for it to exist. Not saying that it has a prescribed function or anything like that, but there is some type of intentionality to existence itself. Like there's a reason why things exist, and I think we can all agree on that why this microphone exists like it, it, there's an explanation for it that's conflation that's conflation the, you just you just mixed you just mixed reason and intention there's a reason you but mean? you can't define intention and i am being a horrible fucking moderator <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> i just god no, damn it you're, you're justin good. you are you you're fucking good man and you you got me so angry i fucking <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just feel like you mixed well, you're, reason you're, and intention. All, all, that was that was my point, and I and I and I shit all over it yeah, by no, laughing. No problem, but but I th I think I think intentionality has reason behind it. I don't think I don't know why we have to make some dichotomy between them. I think that that when somebody has intentions or or the the intent, no, I'm not talking about like moral intentions or anything like that. I'm speaking of intentions as an, an existentialist. Like, like like an existentialist view that things are intended to exist when they exist. I don't, I don't think anybody can argue with that. Like things can't be things cannot be not intending uh, intending to exist when they exist. It's just that that seems like a logical contradiction right there. But my 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 strict point is is if we're going to say that things are true in the fact of the matter before human beings had a way to conceptualize of these things, I'm still trying to figure out what exactly these other types of truths are and using the null hypothesis that atheists love to use to stand in disbelief until proper evidence is brought to the table i would say that for any physical object that existed if it's true and that truth of that object is existent but non-conceptual i need to know i i, I need to stand in disbelief for a non-conceptual truth until evidence of a non-conceptual truth is brought to the table for observation that null hypothesis thing is fucked up for sure. But either way, uh, Chris, <laughs> Chris, give us your take. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, Godless Engineer, follow that up. And then, uh, Justin, if you want to close us out, thank you guys so much. Oh, my God. Everybody can find Godless Engineer. And uh, what, what was your channel again? I, I messed it up originally with the acronym. It was EA. EA Dawa. EA Dawa. Dawa. D -A -W -A All right. W-A-H. Regardless of the pronunciation, you can find all these links in today's show notes. Chris, John, Justin, close us out. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, uh, Robert. And yeah, very interesting conversation. The way I've always understood this debate was around, like we talked about at the beginning, can something come from nothing? Um, it doesn't seem like it can. So then what did reality, everything that is our physical universe, how what did it come from? And I thought I understood Justin to be saying this, but I wasn't 100% sure, so I didn't want to misrepresent him. But like the way I, at least from my position, um, the only two things that I know of that are could be a cause for all of physical reality would be abstract objects or a mind. And since abstract objects can't cause anything and uh, they don't cause concepts, uh, then it must be the mi a mind that's coming up with everything. The universe itself, all the concepts that, are, that John was talking about are the, that are true within it. And so I guess just to put a bow on it, um, the reason why Christians would say that that mind is God is that whatever mind brought a universe into existence would have to be all-powerful, would have to be intelligent, would have to be immaterial, would be, have to be outside of space-time. And for Christians, at least, that's exactly our concept of God and that's what seems like good evidence to us when it comes to this whole subject. I mean, I, I feel like what's been discussed here tonight, um, as far as the truth discussion goes, is that, that there there are I, I feel like there's two different things that we're talking about. One would be the um, you know, minds conceiving of truth and and you know, actually investigating like what is true about reality. But I feel like that's, uh, you know, what what we can do with our own, like, human condition, like, uh, through our own perception, you know, investigating what's true about reality. But I, I think that there's this other level to it that 
has absolute truths. I, I do believe that there is an absolute truth. Like I, I believe that there is an absolute truth about whether or not God exists. And that absolute truth is based in the physical properties of this universe. The, these, these different things that are true, regardless of whether or not a God exists. And I think that God would be in that category as well as like the ball that we were talking about or rocks or anything like that. I think that, um, these the, this this ultimate truth or absolute truth is based in the physical properties of this reality that we can measure and we can test, just like we do with every other thing. And that's why science is so beneficial to figure out the truth of reality, because it's looking to describe reality. It's looking to describe how reality operates. And I feel like there's a, a bit of a the line between that absolute truth and what we perceive and consider to be true. I feel like that line's being blurred here and it's, it's being made out like I'm not substantiating my position, but I feel like just the physical properties of this universe as the very basis uh, of, uh, you know, uh, uh, of our investigation into like what's true and what's not. I feel like that is, is how we can come to know what this absolute truth is. So, yeah, no, for the most part, I agree with everything that John's saying when it comes to observation and physical you know, objects existing in reality. And is it true that they exist? I agree with everything that he said. My my issue is, and it kind of goes back to something that Chris said uh, just a minute ago, is that if this other type of truth that's not conceptual, that is not predicated on a mind grounding that truth, if it's something like abstract, uh, something that is abstract, well, abstract objects do not stand in causal relation with anything in reality. So if it's abstract, then the truth would not cause something to be true, which would be quite arbitrary. So at the, at the end of the day, I feel as if the only type of existence is abstract existence, physical existence, or conceptual existence. And if it's obviously not physical and abstract objects do not stand in causal relation, the only pathway you have to go down with what we have observed in reality are conceptual things. And like I've said a hundred times already, if conceptual things are mental things and mental things are grounded in minds at the time of the existence of, for example, the singularity, if it was true right then and there prior to the expansion, that means that a truth existed right there. And a truth is a concept. Concepts are mental. Mental things are, are, are grounded in minds. So that's kind of where I, I, I push that argument. And that's why I feel respectfully that I haven't got a substantiation on the substance of what this other type of truth is. Now, after that, to try and like close up on what, what Chris did say, he said, this is why we believe it to be God. My next argument that I would use would be an argument from arbitrary limits, would state that this necessary thing that has a mind would have to be unlimited. If I was to say that the Coke can in front of me is God, then I could ask questions like, why is it not a little bit larger or smaller than what it, than what it is right now? There's arbitrary limits placed on this thing, and this necessary thing would be self-sufficient, limitless, non-dependent on anything else, which would mean that it would be limitless in mind, and also, the next part, it would have to be necessarily limitless in will. So now you have a necessary being with a mind that has a will to choose to create everything that exists contingently in this universe. Khalil, the godless engineer, and Chris Christensen, guys, thank you so much. You know, and, and this whole conversation, uh, even though I was a horrible moderator, I kept fucking putting my foot in my mouth and stepping in, in the way, but but I feel like I'm closer to the listener in this regard because I was a listener. I learned a lot, that's for sure. <laughs> and I, I really want to say I appreciate you, uh, Khalil, and uh, Chris, uh, uh, Chris, for uh, you know, talking to me, I know that I can get uh, a bit passionate, uh, you know, on this topic. So I appreciate you putting up with me. Yeah, no, and I appreciate it, guys. And Chris, I'm sorry that I hogged up a lot of the mic time. <laughs> I kept trying to check on you to see if you had anything to say. I really wanted you to chime in there, but uh, but no, I I appreciate you, uh, John. Um, like like you you were an inspiration to me when I was like a little tiny YouTuber. Wow. And uh, I still am a little tiny YouTuber, but uh, you're like an inspiration to me. You had you had all these followers. You're making these videos and and having these debates and and that's what i wanted to do and and you know obviously we went down different paths i eventually took a different path than you but uh i i understand what it what it feels like to to cram in shows and to uh edit shows and to make thumbnails and you know all that stuff so i, I definitely give you credit for that plus being able to to put up with me some uh 
some guy that went over to uh, to the other side that you don't necessarily agree with. I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Thank you to Justin, Chris, and John. Thank you to Dave Blair at DaveBlairMusic.com. Thank you to Feastpout.com for promoting the right to reason to the Top 10 Atheist Podcast. Thank you to our patrons, Rob Shrek, Larry Wilson, Michael Moore, Catherine Class, Freethinker215, Phil Calderon, Brittany Catherman, Alan Marks, Philip Spawn, Bernard Lamorell, Anima Man, and our top supporter, Rob Montgomery. You can support this broadcast at patreon.com forward slash right and learn more at the right to reason.com. Next week, I'm talking to Christian apologist Robert Campanero about evolution and creationism. Between now and then, fight for your right to reason.